Hey, it's Kathy with Rocky Retirement. And as promised, today's Friday, and so you'll be getting to listen to Henry Shapiro's Retired Excited. I know you're just going to love this as much as I do. And don't forget, you can still listen to Rock Your Retirement, where I'm the host, and those shows are released on Mondays. Welcome to the Retired Excited Podcast. Retired Excited, the show where we give retired and want-to-be-retired folk a look at how great retired life can be. Here we talk to men and women who are happily retired and loving their life. Together, we will delve into what retired happiness really looks like and how anyone can achieve it. Here is your host, Henry Shapiro. Hey folks, Henry here at Retired Excited, the show providing inspiration for people who are nearly retired, newly retired, or say they're never going to retire. Here we talk to retired people doing things that make them happy, things from stamp collecting to cruising, from dancing to touring the world on a motorbike. We talk to everyday retired people who are living the life they want, and we talk to a few professionals to get expert advice, and I chip in with some of my own experiences. Well, hi folks, Henry here with episode 21 of Retired Excited. Those of you who listened last week to episode 20 will know that my wife and I are on holidays. We travelled up from Melbourne, up north, up to Coffs Harbour. Now, I forgot to say last time that if you're going up that way, take the Kempsey turn off and, and go to the Slim Dusty exhibition. It's terrific. Lots and lots of memorabilia and films of his life and the people who worked with him. It's really well worth stopping and having a look. Anyhow, we travelled on. We went up from Kempsey and finished up at Coffs Harbour. We stayed at Coffs Harbour for a week. And just down the road from where we're staying is a place called Carabana, which is sort of a touristy kind of a place. I thought, okay, I'll go and have a look. So in I go, and Carabana is a factory which manufactures products from Carab. And at the front it has a shop and then an auditorium and they have bus tours and uh, a lady there explains what's going on. So in I go. And when I arrived there, there was a couple of buses and a lady explaining the process that they used and what Carib is all about. And she was about my age, maybe a bit younger. And I thought, well, that's very strange. You wouldn't expect to find somebody of mature years doing that. Perhaps she owns the place. So I waited till all the tourists had gone and went up and had a word to her. Indeed, she was a part owner. She and her husband owned the, owned the place and she agreed to do an interview with me. So this week, what we have is an interview with Jean Hammy. Jean and her husband, Ian, run Carabana. And it's really a story about their life and the travails that they had in uh, keeping the place going and developing it into a really successful tourist venue. You're going to find that they are hugely hardworking, independent kind of folks. Anyhow, I'll let them tell the story. It really is interesting. And it wasn't until we got, or it wasn't until I thought that we'd almost finished the interview that I said, oh, and you're retiring. She said, yeah, I'm retiring in a couple of weeks. I said, what are you looking forward to? And what do you, what will you do? And away she went. It was a whole other story. And you're going to hear it here. 
She is a really, really interesting woman. So here's their story now. Welcome, Jean. I'm here today at, how do we pronounce it, Carabana? Is that yes, correct? that's correct. Jean, tell me what your involvement with the company is. I'm one of the owners. Okay, so who owns it? Who, who are ben, the owners? Ben and Jean Hamey. So that's you and your husband? That's it. Uh-huh. And how long have you been involved in this business? Well, I've been 27 years. <laughs> Ian uh, and his mum and dad started it. Yes. And just to explain to the people who are listening, t- tell me about a little bit about the business. What does the business do? Well, the business produces carob confectionery. Mm-hmm. Now, carob is a, a plant that doesn't have any stimulants, that is a, a good alternative to cocoa chocolate. And we started off with coating dried bananas and we've expanded now to about 50 different lines. Okay. Well, you you mentioned chocolate. Does carob taste like chocolate? It tastes similar when it is fresh. It doesn't have the headaches that, carob, that chocolate can create. And the reason why we're doing carob products is because my mother-in-law was allergic to chocolate. Was it some of the some of the uh, chemicals in the chocolate that used to upset her? Well, it's usually the caffeine and the theobromines that a lot of people have trouble with. And some listeners, I've had a little look around the factory here, and it's a, it's a cross between a factory and a tourist uh, attraction. Would you like to just tell the listeners what we have here? Okay. Well, at the moment we're sitting in the auditor- auditorium where we have our bus groups, and it's quite big. And we have a production line cooling tunnel running down beside the seats. And on the other side, we have the kitchens where we make honeycomb and fudges and brittles and creams. And we have, when you come into the factory, you come in through big double doors into a full retail shop. Step out of the shop into the auditorium, and then you get to go around and look into the different rooms where things are made. And listeners, I've had a look around the shop and it looks delicious. There's honeycomb covered in carob. There are brittle. Oh, brittle, yes. (laughs) Brittle's big. (laughs) Actually, our peanut brittle won the Melbourne Fine Food Awards in 2008. There's ginger. I love ginger. There's ginger covered in carob as well. Oh, yes. We've got that in two varieties and two sizes. (laughs) As you say, there's maybe 50 products there. It's amazing. How did that happen? Your parents, well, in in your husband's parents, mm-hmm. started this business, and I understand that it was a banana plantation to start off with. Mm-hmm. Can That's you tell right. us a little bit about well, the history, the story the history. of it? The history, okay. Well, yeah. go back to the very beginning when Ian, that's my husband, his mum and dad came down from Dorigo as newlyweds in 1938. They rented land to start with and grew small crops and developed a bit of savings, and then they purchased the property that we are on here. There was 96 acres of bush, and they decided to clear 20 acres of it for growing bananas. That stage, Coffs Harbour was becoming a banana town, and of course it was discovered that this was as far south you could commercially grow bananas, and it takes 18 months from your sucker to your bunch, and you only get one bunch once. Of a banana plant, a banana tree or... It's a plant. It's not a tree. The trunk is actually a hollow honeycomb. So do you have to replant every year? No. The the tree puts up suckers. 
And when you cut your bunch, you chop up the parent plant, and usually there's two or three suckers down at the base. On this property, we cut away the lower ones because we're on slope here, and you leave the one that's uphill. Now, I've, I've, uh, as I've driven around, I've seen the banana plants, and they would be, in the old language, maybe nine feet high. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Well, so yes. does that grow in 18 months? It takes 18 months from when the sucker comes up to when you actually cut the bunch. That's amazing. It's very quick. Well, you go up into the tropics and it does nine months in the same time. Goodness me. The same, yeah. For the same process. And you say it's a banana town. Of course, this is where, when you're driving up a highway, which you say is a new highway, is the big banana. Yes. <laughs> so it's a banana town and your in-laws have now got uh, 20 acres of bananas. Mm-hmm. And now somehow they've transitioned into carob. Tell me how that happened. Well, that, that, that's quite, that was a disaster to start with because what happened, the bananas were starting to really become a big part of Coffs Harbour and somebody went and told the fruit bats up in Queensland <laughs> right. there were now bananas down here. So they all came down to, to, to have a party, which they did, and pretty much wiped out everybody. So anyway, we had masses of fruit that was chomped on and there was even more scratched. And it was the scratched fruit that was still edible but not saleable. So we had to do something with all this damaged fruit. So it was decided that they would be ripened, peeled and dried on trays underneath the packing shed roof. Yes. Because three inches under a corrugated iron roof in the middle of summer is a very hot bit warm, yes. place. <laughs> and we had some friends that were involved in the health food industry so we gave them some of the dried bananas and away it went. So we were doing that up in the packing shed. It got to the point where we couldn't keep up with the demand and this factory was literally built for banana drying. That's a good problem to have, isn't it, when you can't, can't mm. keep up with demand? <laughs> yes, we were blessed. It was a blessing with the bats, believe yep. it or not. Yes, it, it turned around like silver linings. So are you still involved in bananas? No. Right. What's, uh... What changed that? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, about 26 years ago, there was a big outcry in the community about sugar being bad for people. So a number of the sugarcane growers further north decided to go out of sugarcane and into growing bananas because they could work that on the same land. I see. So that increased the output from the northern part of New South Wales, where they only have a nine-month cycle, and we received $3 for a 13-kilo box of bananas when that happened. Mm -hmm. And the box that we put the bananas in cost us $2 was the time when we decided not to grow bananas anymore and just dry them. So the drying side was going well. Now, my mother-in-law decided to do a value add of the dried banana by melting a block of carob. Now, she did that because she was allergic to chocolate. When she went to town, she would usually buy herself a little square block of carob as a treat. But this week, she bought two, one for her and one to melt, which is what she did, chopped the dried banana into little bits, dipped it in the carob, and we got carob banana. And we were fortunate enough to be able to fit our coating line for the carob behind the dryers. So the factory was so big we could fit it all in. And people liked it by the sound of it. Oh, yes. 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 It's been going forward ever since. 
here we are, we're running along and you've transitioned now from being banana growers to banana dryers and now into carom. Yes. And I understand that you've sold off the plantation part, is that correct? Yes. Yes. Since you've been solely into carob, you've developed more products. Yes. We started off with one, and then we went to coating ginger. So we had two. And is, ginger, we, is ginger grown locally? Where do you no, get ginger we, from? We bought it from Budroom. Budroom ginger, of course. Yes, we yes. did that. We used to buy it in 44-gallon drums, ginger and syrup. And then we had a go at making a mixture, right? Coconut and sultan. It's a coconut rough, and we scraped that onto the cooling tunnel to cool it, and we eventually then made a, a cluster machine to make them. So bit by bit over the years, you've developed more products and yes, more products. and more products. And how have they been received by the public? Well, they haven't stopped buying, <laughs> and it's slowly increasing. The products that we sell now, the main product now, is it's no longer banana. Banana was the one we started with. But that's only a, a rather small side of our whole business because we, when we stopped drying, we sold that to another family. I see. Because we lost our senior folk and that took, us, took the workforce down a little bit. Yes, my in-laws, they passed away. Oh. Yes, because they, they would work in the help with the packing and um, with, with the production. And then you developed Honeycomb. Oh, yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting experience. Someone had mentioned to us about coating honeycomb. We did a bit of search and we found there was some people further north were making honeycomb. So anyway, Ian decided we'd go up and we'd see what they were doing and we'd buy stuff off them and we'd coat it, which we started doing. And then all of a sudden the supply stopped. Something's gone wrong. So Ian went back up and found that the, the lady that was running the business had cleaned out the, the safe and shot through. Mm, yes. Yes. So we had... That, that'd do it, yes. <laughs> so no longer did we have a supply of honeycomb. So, right. okay, there was a confectionery course that was being run down in Melbourne for aerated confectionery. So we packed Ian up, sent him down to Melbourne, $300 for the course, the plane down, the accommodation, the meals. Three days later, he came back. He showed us the recipe book. There wasn't even a honeycomb recipe in it. But he said he sat down in class and he went through the book and there was no recipe. So he indicated to the, the teacher that he'd come all the way from Coffs Harbour to learn how to make honeycomb. He said, there's no recipe. And the teacher said, well, honeycomb's a family thing. It's passed on. There isn't any commercial recipe. Then finished the course, came home, said, we're on our own. I said, I've got an idea. I went out and bought a violet crumble bar. Right. Opened the packet up, spread it out nice and tidy, wrote down the list of ingredients as they were on the back of the packet, and I said, there's your recipe, work out how to do it. <laughs> Can I just ask you, I'm breaking in, I'm sorry, but at the time that uh, Ian went down to Melbourne, how old would he have been? Oh, see, that was that was about fifteen years ago now. I think he would have been in his uh, in his sixties. In his sixties, yes. So it, it's interesting to me, and I think to our listeners that in his sixties he was willing to learn something new. Yes, travel all that way to learn something new. Yes, that seems to be how it is with us. We we try to be learning new things with the business. Uh, I've had to learn how to deal with the public, <laughs> <laughs> right? Which was a very steep learning curve for me. Am I allowed to say on air what your age is? Oh, 
No, okay, I won't. <laughs> well, <laughs> She's a, younger than Ian, folks. <laughs> yes, I'm a, yes, I'm a little younger than Ian. Okay. It took him 18 months and he worked out the recipe. He actually went up one shirt size making honeycomb. There's a lot of mixing. There's a lot of tasting and, and a trying. A lot of mixing. <laughs> There's a lot of mixing because you've got to beat the, the mixture to get it to help rise. Right. Yes. So was it muscle? He was putting, yes, he, he was, was putting on muscle. muscle. <laughs> oh, right. I thought he was putting on mm, something no, else. No, okay. no, he was put, putting <laughs> was on muscle. He was building muscle because of the, the action, the action that he had to use to make, mix the, mix the honeycomb. Okay. I mean, that in itself for somebody who's over 60, that's, uh, that's amazing, really. He's made most of the equipment we have here and he's still yeah. making stuff even now and he's in, he's 72, so. Have there been, uh, well, apart from the initial, that attack. Has there been uh, any setbacks in the business? Well, we did take on a marketing manager at one stage, and that was a total disaster. We mm. nearly lost everything. In what way? What What was well, the issue? We, he pushed us in. He overextended us financially, right. where we had to go into voluntary administration. Oh, mm. so that was serious. It was serious, but unfortunately, the administrator helped himself to about $10,000 out of our, our business, which could have got us out of trouble without having any problem. So how did you dig yourself out of that situation? We sold a piece of land. And you've been able to carry on? Oh, yes. And develop, <laughs> develop profitably since then? Yes. Well, yes. We've, we've made brittles now, which we, we've made since we started the honeycomb. And mm-hmm. uh, yes, we, we seem to be going forward with our wholesale side of it. Uh, the retail side here in the shop is expanding, and that's thanks to um, actually a lot of people going on um, TripAdvisor. We've actually received two certificates of excellence so far. Fantastic. Up there on the wall, There's I'm looking one. at them as we speak, yes. And the second one's due to arrive any day. You're going forward now. You had a setback, and but now you're going forward. Was there any breakthrough, any occasion that you said, right, if we do this, we'll be able to develop? Well, we just kept putting one foot in front of the other and coming up with, like, the honeycomb, then the brittles, and then we did fudges. And we actually, when we got onto the internet, we used the internet, got ourselves on there with our web page and the whole setup, so people could actually punch in Caravana and all this information would come up. Well, that's interesting because before I came... I punched in carob, just the word carob, and you come up number one on Google. That's good. In the whole world, this (laughs) business comes up number one. So that's fantastic. That's good. Well, people obviously enjoy what they do when they come here. How many employees have you got here? Four. So is that including Ian and yourself? No, there are six of us in total. Six of you, yes. But they're family. Well, not not blood family, but they might as well be. Well, actually, our office manager uh, was a friend before she became an employee. Mm-hmm. Her son met one of our granddaughters during school holidays when she was working for us, and they got to know each other, and now they're partners. Mm-hmm. So he works for us too. I, I read in your little booklet that when you want to develop a new product, the whole team, yep. and I'm yes. using the word team, tries yes. it out and, yep. and comments on it and, oh, yes. and so on. It, so you obviously feel that this is a team and a family kind yes. of an exercise. Yes, that is. And why do you? Why have you developed it like that? Because we care about our employees. They're very important to us. Since I'm going to be retiring at the end of this month, 
I had to find someone to replace me. And it had to be someone that fitted in with everybody else. So we had nine people. I narrowed it down to two. And the decision wasn't totally mine. I had two that were important to us. Uh, come and spend a day with us. The feedback was to one or the other. The one we've actually chosen was chosen by a majority. Terrific. You decided not to promote somebody from within the business or you didn't have a spare person within no, the business? there was no spare person. <laughs> so you had to find somebody from outside? Yes. And is the person who you've chosen used to this kind of a business? It's used to de- She's used to dealing with the public and... She's fun. Well, That's she, the best thing, isn't it? Yeah. At one stage, she was a barmaid. Right. She so knows how to deal with people. Yes, and, and she seems to fit in beautifully with everybody. Before we came online or when I spoke to you earlier, uh, you mentioned that, and you've just mentioned now, that you are going to retire. Best as I can. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit hard when you're an owner. You've sort of got responsibilities there. It is a bit hard. Well, now... And you're retiring at the end of the month. Folks, we're more or less in the middle of June in 2016 at the moment. So in a couple of weeks, you're looking at stopping the work which you are doing here. Mm-hmm. Tell the listeners what it is that you're doing which you will be stopping doing. What, what, are you, what have you been doing? Retail with the shop, keeping the shop filled up, which can be sometimes to 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Mm, <laughs> trying to get the shop uh, filled back up again. Mm-hmm. Uh, working on the production line with the products coming through. Uh, that's got to be all bagged up, it's got to be boxed, it's got to be labelled. So you've been doing the physical work? Oh, yeah. And is the new lady going to be doing the same? Yes. The day she came, she had a ball. We had a bus group in, which is one thing I will be keeping. The last come in and uh, sat with the group to listen what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, she got the giggles with the rest of the group. She, uh, she had to go backwards and forwards. She was looking after the production line. Eventually, when all the customers in the bus group had, had uh, got back in the bus, the hostess that was looking after the folk on the bus asked her, our new lady, first day, to go onto the bus and thank everybody. So she went in there and hopped on the bus and said, thank you, everybody, for coming in. I hope you enjoyed yourself. And she got in there and first go round, and, yes, so it really sort of clinched that it was... Let's just talk a little bit about retirement. You've... Set the date more or less for your retirement yes. or for retiring from most of your responsibilities here. Have you been looking forward to it? Yes. And because, why have you been looking forward to I it? Because I'm a creative person and doing all what that I've been doing here and working late hours means I don't get the chance to, to let that get that creative energy into fruition, I suppose, yes, to, get, yes. to do something creative. Um, I do have a craft studio. Mm-hmm. And what, what do you do in the studio? Oh, well, I, I've, I do quilling, which is coiled paper. It's a paper craft. I've already written four books that have gone international. You've written four books? I've written four books. On quilling? About on quilling. quilling? Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm in the process of doing two more. I also write children's stories, uh, which I write just for the family and friends. I also do... Have, pub- they, have they been published or are they... Not in- commercially, but the craft ones have. I've got heaps of, heaps of kids' stories because I love... I've written stories since I was nine years old. My mum mum used to write. I do children's stories. I do the quilling books. I do the, the poetry, which hasn't been a big part of it all. But I also taught myself bookbinding, 
Uh, Ian's mum taught me floristry. I've done a millinery course, paper making. I also belong to a medieval reenactment group. What's the main thing that you're going to be doing when you retire? What What are you looking forward to doing? Finishing the two quilling books, mm-hmm. getting more of my children's stories organised. That's the main part. It's the creative side, the hands-on making things. Quilling books are something that's that brings in some money. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. But you don't get a lot of money from books unless uh, you like J.K. Rowling and write, you yes. know, sell millions of them. Mine are... A bit different. They're a bit different. <laughs> a bit different. Tell the listeners how you publish them. How does that work? Actually, I went through a commercial publisher. Now, I'm going back to 19, 1993, <clears throat> 95, I think the book came out. I'd been doing quilling for a little while before that. I'd been doing Australian flowers and putting them on cards for family and friends. And I showed a friend of mine who was a school librarian, and she said, why don't you write a book on it? So I did. I said, well, well I'm going to see if I can find a publisher. So I went to one of our local bookshops and picked up a couple of other quilling books and found out there was two publishers I could go with. So I sent a letter off at the same time to both of them. Within a week, I had a phone call from the one in Sydney, and he said to me, I am interested, will you send me the manuscript? Now, I'd sent these off waiting for rejections to come through, but I didn't. And I found out that non-fiction, especially craft, is not as difficult as fiction. And you need not answer this uh, if it's um, too personal, but what percentage of the sale price does the author finish up with? 10%. Mm, that's not much, is it? <laughs> it sold, the book sold for uh, $19.95, I got $1.95. And you only get paid every six months. So you need to sell a lot of books. Yes, well, the first, bat, the first run sold out mm-hmm. and they had to reprint. Actually, if you go on the internet and call up my name on it, you'll find a whole lot. And I've seen some of my first books on some of these book sites $300? Well, I'm not getting a penny out of that. <laughs> this is for a second-hand copy. And a... Or, or one that's unused, yeah. And I, I was staggered. I said, well, I'm not getting the $300, am I? <laughs> yeah. Yes, that whole world of publishing is a, high, is a different world, isn't it? Yes. yes. I was going to say, just so that we have it uh, within the podcast, can you just name the titles of the books for us? Okay, the first one was, the, was Australian Native Flowers. Then I did Beauties of the Bush, which had spiders and dragonflies and ladybirds in with the flowers. Mm -hmm. And then I did the Desert Flowers. But I wanted to call it the Desert in Bloom, but the publisher said, no, it's Desert Flower. And then the third one was Quilling for Beginners, because I could see there was a need out there for um, people to actually develop their skill to do it in, in a regulated and staged a methodical m- yes, method. Yes, so, so they can actually learn building their, their skills as they go. All right, so in your retirement, and this podcast really is about retirement, mm-hmm. you've said that the main things you're going to do are finish your books. Yes. And you'll keep developing your quilling by the sound of it. Yes. What does Ian think about all this? I can do anything I like. Ian's very, very supportive. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and I are great mates. No. Uh, he doesn't want to retire. He, he's got nothing to retire to. He does what he likes here almost every day because he looks after the machinery and makes more machines that we need. 
and he loves that. Listeners, I can tell you I'm sitting here, as we said, in the auditorium and it's the end of a work day. Jean is pretty tired because it's been a big day and Ian was here as well and he said, OK, sweetheart, you, uh, you do the interview, I'm going off and gave her a big sloppy kiss. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when she says they're great mates, um, she's not beating around the bush, that's true. <laughs> yeah, he goes and has his power nap. Yeah. Don't we all? We do our own breakfast. He does lunch, I do tea, he washes up. Got it all worked out. Uh, That's fantastic. Well, the kids have all left home, so... Now, I know you're not actually retired at the moment, but you will be any minute. Now, I'll ask you a different question first. You've had lots of people through the place. Mm-hmm. What have you learned from all these people? Have you, have you gained any insight to people or uh, thoughts about people? Well, I'm not going to miss the continuous drain dealing with the public. Although you've been doing it a long time, it sounds as though it doesn't come naturally. You don't. Well, that's not an enjoyment for well, you. Well, I I do it because it's necessary. Happy to do it because it's necessary, but I'd rather not be doing it. Have the public taught you anything, or is there any lessons you've learned by dealing with them? Or is there any little stories you can tell me about there's, things that have happened here? Well, there's been some lovely things happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, when especially involved with information about carob, because. Uh, Carib is actually from the Mediterranean and the Middle East. And if any of anybody knows the Italians and the Sicilians and the Maltese, they're very gregarious, very open, very friendly and enthusiastic. And it's been some of those lovely people that have given me information that's made my job a little easier. I think they've given you a couple of things, haven't they? Yes, they've given me some anecdotes and some... Ah, wonderful things. I read somewhere that they'd given you something made out of carob wood. Yes, um, a lovely lady gave me two very old lace bobbins that had belonged to her grandmother. They're treasures, aren't they? So <laughs> yes. Just a customer through the place has given you something. No, from the bus group. It was a, yeah, like a bus cus- group. The yeah. bus group. Yes. Yeah. A- an- another gentleman. Uh, he was from South Australia, and he did wood turning. And he made a, a little carob timber bowl for me. Especially for you? Yes. And sent it and wrote it on the back when, it, when he made it in his name. So. We've been going a little while now, but there's one uh, last question I want to, to ask you. Yes. As people are coming up to retirement or in their retirement, what advice would you give to them? Enjoy it. Do, do what your heart make, what makes your heart sing. As far as we know, we only get one go at this. That's absolutely perfect. Jean, I'd like to thank you really. Thank you very much for the time you've spent here and the story. It's a, it's an unusual story. It's things that mm. people wouldn't even think about uh, normally, you know, mm. developing a little business and through hardship and carrying on, just developing it bit by bit. It's a, a really, really great family story. So thanks very much. You're very welcome. I really am in awe of people like Ian and Jean. They've worked hard, they've had adversity in their life, they've come back from that adversity, and they've done it their way. You've heard them say that Ian has really built most of the machinery in the factory. He just likes to do that. He is a really, really practical man. I love the story about the honeycomb product. Couldn't get the recipe? Get a violet crumble bar, have a look at the ingredients and work out how to make it. Fantastic. They've developed the factory themselves and built it up into a a successful, successful business 
with products that are in demand and with a growing demand. Very careful with their finances. Ian particularly is methodical and he's dogged, even in adversity, he's dogged in fighting through issues and coming out the other side. It's really impressive. What struck me was the fascinating attitude that Jean had towards business. Not the normal small business person's methodology of profit at any cost. No, she considers her workers, her people who are working there with her, as family and treats them like that. Really interesting that when she employed somebody new in the business, they selected the person democratically. She got all the staff together. That's just her, her husband and four others. And between them, they chose who was going to manage the place when Jean retired. Pretty impressive. And then eventually we got on to what she wanted to do when she retired. And she's got all sorts of things. Didn't occur to me at first, and then it all came spilling out. She's written books during the course of the interview. She told you the names of the books. I'll put links to the books in the show notes. I'll put links to Carabana's website as well, so you can quickly look that up. The website itself is a bit clunky, and certainly the order process is a bit clunky, but obviously it works for them because she said it was bringing in business, and she was really, really happy with it. The books that... Uh, on the website don't really do justice to what she has done and you'll see down the side of the page if you're looking at the retired excited web page that is you'll see that I've put images and I'll put links to those images so that you can have a proper look as she said some of her books are selling well above the original retail price she's not quite sure why but I'm certain it's because there's very few of these quilling books on the market and hers are particularly good so what do we take away from this episode we take away methodical approach we take away persistence hard work a life of hard work really developing a business that was started by her in-laws then her absolute dedication to all her craft work and her individuality and her creativity it's very impressive stuff to me i hope you enjoyed it i certainly loved talking to her leave me a note on on the website leave me a, a note in the comment section at the bottom of the page telling me what you think about jean about the development of her business whether you'd be prepared to put in 27 years as she did developing the business, getting through hard times and now into the better times. If you want to contact me directly, henry at retiredexcited.com. That's all for today. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed it. So be at peace, be happy, be healthy. See you next week. Um, Ian Mather was terrific. That was interesting. What a good idea. Oh, wait, I wanted to thank you again for listening to the Rocky Retirement Show. If you're a new listener, a good place to start is episode 116. This explains the six pillars of retirement lifestyle and our general philosophy. Episodes 1 through 236 can be thought of as an encyclopedia. These are topics that may or may not be interesting to you. You can listen to the ones that you're interested in and forget the rest until the issue becomes an issue 
for you. And that's okay. I actually don't recommend starting with episode one and working through until the most recent. That's actually not how the show was designed. Of course, if you want to do that so you can see how the show changed over time, you're welcome to. Now, starting in August, actually August 31st of 2020, we changed the format of the show. The monthly episodes starting with 237 follow a real retiree from her pre-announcement through her first year of retirement. There might be bonus episodes, but we're committed to monthly. If you've enjoyed any of our past shows or the show that you've just listened to and you want to support us, you can do so in any of the four ways. One, share this episode with a friend or family member who needs to hear it. This is the most important way that people find us. Since our audience is typically older, we grow by having our listeners share our episodes with others. Two, subscribe to or follow the show using whatever podcast catcher you're listening on right now. Now, if you're listening on your computer, you can listen on your smartphone by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, Spotify. I mean, I believe on all of them. If you can't find us on the podcast catcher that you'd like to use, send us a note on the website at rockyourretirement.com and we'll make sure that we get on your favorite podcast app. But basically, what you do is you download the app and then you search for the show and when you find it, you'll hit subscribe. Make sure it's the Rock Your Retirement Show and that you hear my voice when you listen. Um, actually, there were some episodes where Henry Shapiro was a guest. Uh, we, we actually downloaded some of his episodes. So if you hear him, it's probably still the, the same show. There were maybe 34 or 35 episodes back in the beginning that we hosted on our show uh, when he decided to leave podcasting. Number three, how you can support us is by leaving a review. Whatever podcast app you're listening to normally has the option of leaving a review, either a written review saying how great the show is or just with stars. Five stars is typically the best. And of course, we're shooting for those five-star reviews. And if you tell us why you like the show, what you liked about it, it's actually easier for other people to understand what the show's about. A lot of people, when they find our show, they think it's about money. And of course, by now, you know that it's not. Number four, if you'd like to support us financially, of course, we're always appreciative of that. Just go to rockyourretirement.com support, and it will take you to our page where you can support us financially. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.